Welcome to the 21 WFMJ podcast. I'm Corey McRae, and I am delighted and a pleasure to be joined by Reverend Dr. Jamie Washington. 36 years of higher education, and believe it or not, we were just talking, actually did his undergrad up at Slippery Rock, so not too far away. Uh, doctor, thank you for joining us here today. And Absolutely. Uh, Black History Month, I mean, we're you know just about a couple weeks in now. Just, you know, with you having done so much, so many as far even as far as contributions, what you've done for people here, I mean, locally uh, with diversity and inclusion at YSU and to what you're doing now, you know, with the Washington group, uh, just just reiterate, what's the importance of Black History Month, not just Black History Month, but Black History yeah, thank you. Thanks so much, Corey. And it's an honor and a pleasure to be a part of this uh, with you today. I do want to name that um, the part of what I celebrate about Black History Month is intention and focus. Uh, and so what I know that is uh, um, a young person growing up in the 60s, uh, in the context that I grew up, I did not grow up in spaces that taught me a lot about the history and the contributions of Blacks. I lived the history, right? I lived in through my experience and with my families. And so my families, our very existence uh, presents us with history. We're making history every day. But part of what happens in a system that was built on some people being seen and others not being seen uh, means that their stories don't get told. And so that you'll notice that as we look at lots of the images and things that we see in the media today, it's an opportunity to hear the experiences through the lens and the experiences of Black folks, right? And so Black history is about the untold stories. It's about the experiences and the truth that was happening all along. It's not, it's not like Black history came into place after American history or after white history or whatever, it was happening all along. It's the story that hasn't been told. And what Black History Month gives us is an opportunity to continue to dig deeper in the stories that were not told uh, and to pay attention to the history that's being made um, by Black and um, folks of African descent today. Right. And as you mentioned, you know, the cliche always says, you know, you got to know your past. I mean, knowing the past opens doors to the future. Why is it so important uh, to implement, you know, black history, especially in in education, especially when these especially at a young age? Absolutely. So what you're naming is uh, it was interesting because we in my church, we just did a, a video viewing of um, Regina King's uh, directorial program of A Night in Miami um, that uh, focused on Malcolm uh, uh, Malcolm X and Sam Cooke. Um, and um, why, am I, why am I spacing? Malcolm, Sam, um, and two other. Uh, why is it? It's, it's, count this up to age. Because it's just like like I'm like I'm looking at them and I don't see them. Um, uh, Malcolm, Sam, uh, Muhammad Ali, like well, Muhammad Ali, um, and then um, um, the football player uh, Brown. Um, but anyway, the 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 story of uh, uh, a night in Miami speaks to their relationships and who they got to be and the power of them in the 60s. 
And what I want to say about that is um, each of them represented what I grew up believing that I could be. Right. And I could either be in music, I could be in ministry or I could be in sports. Those were what I got to see. And those were the things that I got to be. I didn't see a chemist. I didn't see a doctor. I didn't see a lawyer. I didn't see a business owner in terms of the images of who I got to be. I didn't see a scientist who created things. Those were not the images. Not that there weren't those. Not, you know, not that there weren't Black people making those contributions. But when you don't see it, you don't know you can be it. Right? Um, and likewise, for uh, young people who are not Black, um, it's the same thing for them, right? Um, so they don't know that other, that Black people have done these things and made these contributions, right? Um, and so while certainly we are in Black History Month and focused on that, that is true for Apita and Desi and the Asian and Brown folks as well. Um, but when the narrative is that all these things all of the breadth of difference in terms of contributions um, is the uh, is in the image of white folks. Then you don't know that you can be stuff, um, and you don't know what the contributions are of your own history and your own ancestry. Uh, and so, it's so important for us to teach all young people the untold stories um, uh, of histories and the contributions. Yeah, precisely. And as you know, as you mentioned. Um, you know, growing up and not being able to see yourself being those things, because again, there weren't yep. those role models uh, yep. in, in, as being a chemist, being like you said, a business mm -hmm. owner. So mm -hmm. uh, as far as maybe reformer changes, as someone that's been an educator, how do you go about uh, changing that? How do you go about, you know, drawing that influence early on? Well, so again, part of it, it, it looks like, so what does, what does our teacher education programs look like, right? And how are we preparing the next generation of teachers to recognize what's been missing, what's missing in our curriculum, what's missing in our um, in the way we do business in our classrooms, right? How do we integrate? Um, how am I as a teacher, as an educator, integrating Black history beyond the month of February, right? Um, so in history, in political science, in business, in um, um, in biology, how am I? uplifting the voices and the experiences of those whose experiences have not been uplifted and seen, right? Um, so it's uh, very important that uh, we prepare those who will teach our young people what it is and what it means to uh, understand the, the diverse backgrounds and experiences um, that, that have been there, that have been a part of the history, yeah. Exactly. And uh, just, you know, from your experiences as being an educator, how have you gone personally about doing that? Well, so first of all, I had to educate myself because I didn't learn it. Right. So um, sometimes I sit in uh, when I'm in rooms doing sessions, uh, when I ask folks questions about, um, you know, kind of what do you know about what have you learned about black history and and so on and so forth. And then folks are able to respond. I say, and where did you learn that? Most of it has been because they did an elective, right? A special. So it's not infused in the everyday, right? In the standard curriculum, they have had to take either elective 
um, in ethnic studies or black culture studies, or they're participating in um, student organizations and going to special speakers and all of those kinds of things. So it's work that you have to take the initiative to learn, right? And especially if you come from families who didn't have the privilege of kind of having um, that, uh, uh, you know, a higher education or didn't have that in their, in their high schools and that access and so on. And so the, so, so the parents don't know. There's an assumption that because you came from a black family that your parents knew all this. Well, how was they going to know? They didn't learn it either. All of that stuff was kept from them as well. And so, um, and, and you said, well, well, they should have learned about themselves. Well, when you're trying to survive, there's not as much time for all of that extra learning stuff. So those of us who have the privilege, right, of, you know, doing four years of uh, post-secondary education and further have the responsibility then to make sure that young people are getting that information earlier. And so whether they make it um, or decide to, you know, go to four years of higher education or not, that they still have access to the learning. They still have access to the knowing that that information is there. And what is happening today in terms of Black history is more and more is becoming visible so that folks know that they didn't know, right? Um, if you look at, you know, uh, so many, whether it's from BET to Netflix to Hulu to all of the social, all of the media spaces are inviting us into the untold stories. But if you didn't know that there was untold stories, then you wouldn't know to look, you right? Um, and that's what's happening. And so for me, that's what I did. Um, uh, you know, I, I got to take classes. I got to be in spaces. And then that um, realizing what I didn't know helped me to realize there was more that I didn't know. And then I got curious about, well, what about this? And well, what about that? And, uh, you know, and so, so my bookshelves are full with stuff. And then every time a documentary or a movie comes out and I don't get to see everything and I don't know everything, but I get more and more curious about the things that um, I didn't know. You hit the nail right on the head and you bring up a point because even, you know, with me going to school, you know, a lot of it was Eurocentric. A lot of it, a lot of the teaching yes. history really left out a lot of important parts. And, you know, just like you, you know, I've been educating myself, you know, and, and it's crazy what you find. Uh, and somebody put it in an article in a real neat way. They say kids that, you know, of different backgrounds, whether they're black, you know, whether they're, you know, Hispanic, Asian, it, you know, yeah. it, it doesn't matter, but, you know, they end up finding, they don't, they don't even know who they are. They don't know their backgrounds and they believe that, you know, it, whatever they're learning history wise, you know, that's the trend that they don't fit in with what they're learning or the people that fit into that mold. Then it's, you know, it's just, and you don't really realize that, but I mean, and that's why, I mean, I could see, you know, to your point, uh, and if you can add to that, I mean, just how important is that? I mean, just in that retrospect. That's that's right. We, because as you name uh, Corey, we don't know ourselves. Like we don't, we don't know. Um, you know, my sister and I were talking the other day and she was talking about, you know, how much she didn't know um, about the inventions and the contributions of black people. Right. And that how much of that is coming out now. Um, and, and while the information has been there, it's not been public. It's not been present. Right. Um, and, and even as it has been available, if you don't know to look for it, 
you don't know to look for it, right? Um, and so, you know, you don't know that the everyday things that you walk around with and that you see and that you use are um, were contributed and invented and thought of by uh, uh, folks of African descent. You don't know that. Um, and then, and what we know about that is knowing that instills a sense of identity, a sense of pride, a sense of possibility, right, um, of who I can be. You know, what's, what's beautiful today is that um, no young mixed race or black child will ever not see themselves as being able to be in the White House, right? But prior, you know, to President Obama and uh, First Lady Michelle Obama going into the White House, we didn't. We didn't see ourselves as that being, you know, there was a hope like that someday maybe that could happen. But um, certainly, you know, our younger people today was like, what do you mean? Why, why would that just be a hope? Well, of course, we got an example. Now, we don't know when the next one's going to come. Right. We, we, <laughs> but because we got to see what it looked like. Right. Um, but we also then have to also look at the history. Right. And all the 43 before. Right. Um, uh, uh, but, but before him and uh, there was never a woman. This is the first woman um, that's been elected. Right. And the first mixed race and woman of color. And so this whole notion of what you get to see, you get to be um, uh, as, as possibility. And just in speaking of, you know, Kamala Harris, you know, being the first um, vice president of color, mm-hmm. uh, just how important of that, you know, regardless of what people's views are, just yeah. like you said, how much of an inspiration is that for someone at home that says, hey, you know, I'm, I'm looking for the first way, you know, to get out and be something. How important is that? Right. Uh, because, you know, I think and it's. You know, for folks to still recognize that in 2021, we are still having the first, right? So it's 2021 and wow, there's still the first that's happening and there'll be more first, right? Cause we haven't, you know, you know, seen it all, right? Um, uh, and, and so to be able to see that we were able to break through some things um, that were said by some that couldn't happen or that wouldn't happen um, in the past. It's it's very important to um, recognize you know, kind of the, the pioneering efforts. And I know that as Kamala would speak to and many others, the shoulders that we stood on. So, you know, the history that we are in today is about the history that was made yesterday, right? The, the labor, the energy. And uh, as we think about, you know, where are we today and what does that mean in terms of uh, you know, kind of where we've been. It's the honoring and the recognition that we couldn't have gotten here today without the work and the labor of those who went before us, right? And so we are in a different place today than we were 25, 30, 40 years ago. Um, even as much as it feels like, um, gosh, it feels like we've gone backwards and and, and all of those things. We have a way and access to information today that is extremely different than we had 20 years ago. And so what I say, what I say to folks all the time now is something can happen in Michigan and we will know it happened in Michigan at the same time it's happening in Michigan, right? It ain't even finished happening in Michigan and I'm in Baltimore. 
because of the technologies that we have today in social media and so on and so forth. So it gives us access to information in a different way that then, you know, creates a different kind of energy as we attempt to move through um, correction. So people have more information about stuff, but stuff was happening before. <laughs> we just didn't find out about it in the same kind of speed. And you really put it in the perfect <laughs> way because, I mean, you look now, you know, back then, you know, you didn't have the social media, you didn't have the video, like you said, that wasn't there. But now, what do you think with 2020, with everything that's happened between the Ahmaud Arbery situation, we saw uh, George Floyd in Minnesota, all the all the stuff happening before our very eyes. And if you're, you know, no matter who you are, if you're humane, you know, you feel that it hits you different. When somebody tells you about it, it's different. But when somebody, you know, when somebody brings it to you, when you see it with your own eyes, uh, if if anything... If anything, Reverend, what did 2020 show us? Yeah, yeah, 2020 showed us that communities um, are really uh, tired of uh, the the stuff that we've been seeing, where there's been no reaction and no response, and so. What that means is, for me, is that when I say communities, it's not just minoritized communities. It's communities of people who care. And so while, um, you know, the the inhumane murders, um, uh, police brutality and so on that continues to, to ravage our country, right? Again, this is not to make all police bad or um, uh, uh, doing harm. But while, you know, the the abuse and misuse of power is a real thing um, and it has had a differential impact on black and brown communities, um, that it's not just black and brown communities that are saying enough is enough, right? Um, It never has been, right? But more and more um, communities are standing in solidarity with one another um, and being willing to step up. And so 2020, um, COVID, I talk about COVID, gave us an opportunity to see differential impact of, uh, of this health pandemic on minoritized communities, right? So um, we knew that uh, COVID impact was having an impact on everybody but we got to see what it looked like differently in black and brown communities. We got to see who was who had access, who was dying. We got to see what it looked like in the educational systems in terms of who had access to the um, media platforms and to the um, uh, the internet and the technology that was needed to be, be. So it gave us lots of opportunities to see how systemic problems continue to live. Um, and and it also gave us an opportunity to get strategic about moving forward, to do more than simply want to be nice people. So what I think um, 2020 gave us was a deeper level of understanding of systems of oppression, right? Um, uh, and uh, or or at least it raised the uh, shone a light on it. Right. So it didn't necessarily everybody still understands it. Everybody doesn't still agree with it. But it's it's just like, what is that? And why is that? And oh, my gosh, how is that? Um, And so this notion that 
just being nice people isn't enough to eradicate systemic oppression, and particularly in this case, systemic racism. Absolutely right, Reverend. And uh, it's interesting when you talk to people because, you know, a lot of them, you know, they just don't know. And like you said, they've seen it full circle in 2020. They've seen it through video. They've seen it. Uh, and again, it's just like you said, if you don't know something, there's no way you can know. You just can't. Uh, but another big topic, uh, and it's something that I found interesting, equity versus equality. You hear people, no matter what background, a lot of people say we want equality, but is equality, you know, in terms, yes, equality, but is equality really what they want or is it equity? Well, so what I'm often saying in rooms that I go into is folks often say they want equity or equality without owning inequity and inequality, right? There would be no need for equity and equality if there wasn't already inequity and inequality. So folks say that they want that, but they have to be willing to acknowledge the inequity and the inequality. So what does that mean? Who has benefited from inequity and inequality, right? So you have to be willing to look at, oh, if I want equity and equality, I have to look at what's been inequitable and who has been differentially impacted in a harmful way and who's benefited from it, right? And that requires that we are willing to look beyond our individual selves, but to look at systems and culture, right? So, um, you know, individually, I might not feel like I have, but as I begin to recognize that there's a system that's been set up that benefits me as a, right, um, white person um, through the lens of race or um, uh, may, me as a cis male, that, that, that I begin to look at, oh, so when I begin to talk about um, creating equity, then I have to look at the inequity. What am I willing to do to help minimally create a level playing ground? Because we can't get to this if we're not willing to look at the, the ways that the, the ground is not level. And just because we're all in the room doesn't make the ground level, right? Um, I, one of my favorite videos is um, uh, after 400 years of uh, chattel slavery, uh, we get to 1964 and says, okay, now let's all play fair. Let's start the race. I'm sorry. Um, you've been in the race for 400 years. You've got a 400 year head start on me. And now because we've taken down the laws and the barriers that say that, that said I couldn't be in the room. Now I can be in the room, but the culture, the things that you have learned, the things that you've created and had access to over the last 400 years have kept me out. How in the world is that a level playing ground? It's not level. Um, and I have to own inequity in order to get to equity. And Reverend, I know, you know, the answer is really not a simple one and how to kind of get back to fairness in a sense. Uh, right. It's not an easy one. But what do you think maybe the first step to getting to getting to that is? Is recognizing and owning whether you've benefited from the unfair practice. All right. So um, 
and then caring um, enough, right? Caring enough to um, be willing to do your part um, to get us to to a more fair place, right? So, um, you know, if if I'm saying now let's just treat everybody the same, everybody should just be treated the same, is a not recognizing that there is a history that is still in place. The residual impact of that history still has set me up to benefit. And so in order for us to get closer to equity, I have to realize that we've got to do some things to level the playing ground. And I have to be willing to recognize that while I didn't create it, I'm a part of the group that benefited from it. Right. And so what's my part? What's my part to make it better? Every generation has its opportunities to make it better. And um, we get to see what's our part in helping to level the playing ground. Very well put, Reverend. And uh, just in a general census with everything that we've seen, I uh, just assumed over the past couple of years, uh, what are maybe some, even from a pastor standpoint, what are some reforms? What are some changes uh, that you just want to see, whether they be, uh, you know, from a, a law enforcement standpoint, uh, maybe just even uh, just in a general sense? Yeah. So I think, again, as we think about, again, the next round of the work of the next round is, again, it is about addressing with intention systems, right? And the uh, systemic ways in which um, racism continues to kind of live with this. And what are, what are the systems? It's in the economic system. It's in the healthcare system. It's in the educational system. It's in the legal system. So all of um, the systems that we operate in, right? Um, uh, governmental systems, okay, who has access, you know, um, uh, who has a voice in positioning and all those things. We have to begin to look at where um, is race in it and what are the opportunities for reform? And so there's no, there's not, there's not one thing, it's all of it, right? And so, um, but that starts with a recognition of, um, What's my individual part and responsibility? Because we talk about systems as if they're this amorphous thing that happens on their own. People are the systems. The people create the systems, right? People um, manage and live in the systems. And so the only way that they're going to change is if people change. And people don't change at a systems level. People change at the individual level. Um, and I recognize that people um, have to change the system but the individual has to be willing to do the work to do that, right? So, you know, um, the, 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 whether that's the Supreme Court or whether that's um, the superintendents of schools and so on and so forth, there has to be an individual knowing of the injustice and having it not be okay to raise their voice to change a system, right? Um, and then... Um, as we change laws and policies and procedures and practices, then we sustain the change that then doesn't have it be individual specific. But it starts with individuals, right? Um, so uh, without individual consciousness and awareness and commitment to change, then those policies, those practices, those laws, those infrastructures have no chance of happening.
Reverend, absolutely. Hey, I thank you for your time, and I thank You're you so for joining me here. I mean, it's it's been a crazy it's been it's been a crazy a couple of years. But do you think, uh, on an ending note, do you think there's been progress made? Absolutely. Um, so it has been a crazy couple of years, and it's been a very challenging couple of years, um, in many ways. But we're having uh, even even if I just go back to this election, right? Um, there are ways in which systemic racism is in our face like it has never been before. People talking about doing more than just being nice to black and brown and, uh, people, right? People recognizing that they're, um, it's, uh, that anti-blackness is a thing um, and trying to understand that. Yes, there's resistance to that. Yes, there are folks who are uncomfortable with that, but I do absolutely think um, that when we say that there has been no progress, we dishonor my grandmother. We dishonor that she didn't have access to a conversation like this. We dishonor that she didn't have access to spaces like this and couldn't um, uh, name and decide things in the, in the ways that we get to today. Um, and so to say that there's been no progress dishonors um, those who came over in the Middle Passage, dishonors those who couldn't keep their names. It dishonors their journey. Um, and so while there is still work to do, we have come a long way. Reverend, I think you put it in perspective well for a lot of people. I think they'll appreciate that. But yes. 